Liberty Tabletop is America's flatware company, the only flatware that's manufactured in the U.S. of A. There are over 38 patterns to choose from. Like a couple of patterns and you can't decide, you can order a sample of each. And check out their website at libertytabletop.com and enter the promo code BEN for 15% off all flatware. Just in time for you to freshen up your holiday table setting with Liberty Tabletop Flatware, manufactured in the United States. They make great wedding and Christmas gifts, too. Flatware that can be passed down for generations. So check out their website at LibertyTabletop.com and enter promo code BEN for 15% off all flatware. LibertyTabletop.com, promo code BEN. Welcome to Political Pursuits, the podcast. I'm Lou Ann Anderson, your host, and I am so glad to have you here with me today. Today, April 1st, is a day that I think we will remember not only this day, but also this will be a month that probably will be one of the most memorable months of any of our lives. As I got up this morning starting to prepare to do this, took a look at some numbers. Worldwide, we had more than 862,000 confirmed cases with more than 42,000 deaths. Shortly before coming on here, maybe four hours after I pulled those numbers, took a quick look just to get an update. We are now at 916,848 deaths worldwide. We're closing in on a million. And we have 46,141 deaths, again, worldwide. The number is equally growing in the U.S. At this point, we have 207,157 cases confirmed with 4,606 deaths. There's a lot of chaos going on in the world. We've got 5,000 crew members of a Corona-stricken U.S. craft, um, U.S. carrier that is going to be quarantined in Guam. We've got cruise ships that are still trying to find a place to dock and frustrated that certain, you know, even United States um, entities like Florida doesn't want these cruise ships to come in because they already see their numbers growing and they're afraid to have even more people come in that they have to deal with. We've got uh, countries like Japan that they're banning entries to travelers who have been in the U.S., China, South Korea, and most European countries during the past two weeks. Frankly, I don't blame them. That's basically what we've done. And it's not so much an every man for himself, but there just comes a point where that shelter in place in the same way that it may have to do with our own homes, it also has to do with perhaps your own state, perhaps your own country. Stay where you are. Traveling only makes things worse. Even Russia is closing its borders. And again, I, who can blame them? In Texas, we now are up to nearly 4,000 cases, 3,997. That grew 700 cases just in the time again when I was pulling these numbers that also um, has us at 58 deaths New York they've had like another 400 die today they're at 83,712 cases with 1,941 deaths so this thing it's ratcheting up as the president had a long news conference yesterday and warned us that April is going to be a tough month especially the next two weeks I think that on an hourly basis we can see that indeed while there are a lot of things we don't know that is one thing that we pretty well can count on here in Texas we also as the same way that our president was talking and updating people Governor Greg Abbott also updated the order that um, he is having Texans operate under. And under this new order, people may leave their homes to carry out essential activities like grocery shopping, banking, and financial services, accessing health care, child care, um, those type of things. He's 
said that people who work in essential services can still go to work, but those who don't are urged to stay away from other people by not going out in public unless necessary. And he has a list of essential services that include transportation, logistics, communication, information technology, critical manufacturing about around others. He said that the uh, schools will remain closed and that he also said that the order states that people may engage in physical activities like jogging or bicycling and may continue to do so as long as necessary precautions are maintained to reduce the transmission of the virus and to minimize in-person contact with people who are not in the same household. He reiterated that social distancing is our best tool to fight against this virus and that the um, the actions we have taken thus far have proven to be effective in limiting the spread, and now is the time to redouble our efforts to reduce further exposure as much as possible so that we can flatten the curve. He says that failure to comply with the order is a punishable offense. It may result in a fine of up to $1,000, a prison sentence of up to six months or both, but at a news conference yesterday, he stressed that the new order was not a stay-at-home or shelter-in-place, but rather one that emphasized social distancing practice practices in order to keep us safe, keep ourselves safe, but at the same time allow essential services and activities to continue. And um, I think one of the most important things from this is that he is, the governor is cautioning people, asking people, Please exercise personal responsibility. Our own personal responsibility is a more effective weapon against this virus than any law, any government could pass at this point, especially considering that our law enforcement is as much under pressure as our health care workers. There's so many people on the front line of this fighting this horrible virus from so many different fronts in so many different capacities and we as individuals that we can respect this that we can use common sense that is more important than any laws any new guidelines or anything else it's up to us and it's time that we do our part and oh that's common sense wouldn't everybody do that well uh no i can tell you about 28 people that definitely didn't do that as per a, a story this morning in the Austin American Statesman. Headline, 28 UT students test positive for coronavirus after returning from spring break trip to Mexico. So we've got 28 kids who went down to uh, on a trip to Cabo San Lucas in Mexico, and now they're back home, and they've tested positive. It was actually a group of about 70 people in their 20s, and they chartered a a plane that took them to and from Mexico. This is 10 days or so. Some of them flew back on commercial flights. Let's spread the wealth. Let's spread that disease. Four who tested positive showed no symptoms. And um, most of the people that were there in the group were UT students. UT Public Health, um, Austin Public Health, they're all in there. Um, they made contact with every spring breaker on board the charter charter plane and are now in the process of tracing commercial flights for the other passengers. The 28 confirmed cases are self-isolating and others are under quarantine while being monitored and, and tested. In total, UT says it's aware of 38 students and seven faculty members who have tested positive for the virus are presumed positive or self-reported. Local health officials said, well, Mexico wasn't under a travel advisory at the time of their travel, and um, evidently there wasn't any common sense being used at that point either. Amazingly, oh, maybe not, this trip was put together by a company called Just College, which specializes in organizing trips for college students. That sounds like that idiotic company that also scheduled that trip that Otto Warmbier went over um, and was flirting along the border of North Korea a few years ago. In the weeks and days leading to spring break, the company sent multiple emails to UT students saying there was no danger from COVID-19 and the refund policy on the trip packages, which students say were about $2,000, remained non-refundable.
We're currently in our second week of Cabo and have almost 5,000 travelers, all with no issues, the company said to a UT student in a March 12th email obtained by the statesman. Flights have been fully operational and we have had nearly 100% turnout. Our events are completely operational with zero impact from COVID-19 thus far. Famous last words. They now aren't really responding for comment, but um, there was an announcement saying that they've postponed other spring break trips and are working on credits or partial refunds for those who can't attend the new dates. So anyway, personal responsibility. Personal responsibility for yourselves, and hopefully, even if you're young, you can get a clue. If you don't, maybe you have a, a responsible adult in your life, but then again, maybe you don't. At least 28, for 28 of those people, it's questionable. Okay, we're getting lots of information. We're having lots of numbers thrown at us with just regard to um, where we are with what we can expect. And certainly the president was making no bones about the fact that um, we're looking at some numbers that they are moving all of the time. Um, there is a group that is doing, that's being uh, the Washington Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation. It has something called the Murray Model. And that group last week estimated 81,000 deaths over the next four months with 95% confidence in that the number would be between 38,000 and 162,000. As horrible of numbers as those sound, that's good news because the fatality forecast before that was at 2.2 million people. And so these numbers are shifting. They're shifting as more data flows in from other states, from other countries. Importantly, the model measures deaths in terms of population rather than confirmed cases because testing varies geographically. It also extrapolates U.S. fatalities based on information from other hot spots and Wuhan in China after government lockdowns. Now, of course, any data out of China isn't reliable, and it amazed me that today I heard a headline from Politico that they don't think China's information may be correct. I don't know where these people have been. Maybe they were down there in Cabo with the rest of the idiotic UT students um, because they certainly weren't in reality. Anyway, all of these, all of these numbers are changing. At a point, um, New York, it's estimated now that they're going to need 35,000 more hospital and 7,300 ICU beds next week when demand for care is projected to peak. That's a lot. But recently, it was thought that they were going to need 55,000 to 110,000 hospital beds, 18,000 to 37,000 ICU beds. That was, the, that was the projection a week ago. So that's how quickly these things can change. The important thing to know is that a lot of these models that they are looking strictly at the numbers of cases, they're not taking into account all of the testing that's going on, and that a lot of these estimates, they don't assume that there's new treatments that are going to be coming online that can reduce deaths and hospitalization. They don't really take into account the widespread testing, especially for antibodies, for those who develop immunity. That's something that like Germany is planning to do, and it could be something that definitely could be incorporated here. April is going to be a tough, tough month, and the next two weeks especially are going to be a lot of bad news. But as we go through this, it's important to remember that a lot of these numbers that we hear are the worst-case scenarios that the media likes jumping in on, and we, with our own personal responsibility, have a chance to impact. So let's take what we hear with a grain of salt and know that we, too, have a part to play in this. One of the really interesting things that I came across in the Wall Street Journal this morning was that um, there's an, there's an op-ed by a couple of guys who are um, they're medical professors. And anyway, they're talking about Operation COVID Airlift would be MedVac 
in reverse. And they go through and they submit that as we're running around the country going, oh my gosh, we've got to set up all these different locations and these hot spots. We've got to have these pop-up hospitals in, in New York and down in New Orleans and out in L.A. And even in Dallas here, we've got the K. Bailey Hutchison um, Convention Center being converted. All of these different facilities. And they're saying, what if we took a different approach? And what if we called it Operation COVID Airlift? Mo most of those who develop this virus symptoms severe enough to require hospitalization, also have the time for an emergency flight from like New York to a region with unused capacity. State or national authorities should update or should provide daily updates of available ICU beds and ventilators. Then the people who need to be on these using these beds, they have room that rather than moving this equipment around, we can bring those people in from whatever facility that they Liberty Tabletop is America's flatware company, the only flatware that's manufactured in the U.S. of A. There are over 38 patterns to choose from. Like a couple of patterns and you can't decide, you can order a sample of each. And check out their website at libertytabletop.com and enter the promo code BEN for 15% off all flatware. Just in time for you to freshen up your holiday table setting with Liberty Tabletop Flatware, manufactured in the United States. They make great wedding and Christmas gifts, too. Flatware that can be passed down for generations. So check out their website at LibertyTabletop.com and enter promo code BEN for 15% off all flatware. LibertyTabletop.com, promo code BEN. Ah, feel the woe with Listerine at BJ's. You can save $2.50 now on Listerine products like Total Care Anti-Cavity Fluoride Fresh Mint Mouthwash or Cool Mint Pocket Packs Fresh Breath Strips at your nearest BJ's location. Experience the feeling of a million germs zapped in seconds with Listerine. Discount available through December 24th. Save now, only at BJ's. They are to have these fully ready facilities and personnel on hand to take care of them. They said that this is something that happens commonly in rural areas, that it's very, you know, you very often have patients who are transferred uh, to different facilities because they need higher level care. And so there's no reason that we couldn't be doing that with these. And they said it could be also be possible to apply patients with less acute symptoms uh, to facilities that have been slightly repurposed uh, for these other type things. They say as the mismatch between patient need and critical care support diminishes in the New York region, Operation COVID Airlift could move patients from other hot zones to regions with open capacity, eventually including New York as the crisis there eases and other hot spots emerge. They said that some people might resist this proposal because they're worried that moving infected patients around the country would risk further spread of the virus to places less equipped to handle an outbreak. But these patients would be properly isolated with all the protective equipment to diminish the risk, and hospitals that aren't overcrowded, who aren't overstressed, likely could manage the crisis better. Going from an ambulance to to um, ambulance to plane to ambulance to hospital would probably create far less contagion risk than the type of spread that's happening in many communities right now. Family members aren't going to like that so much either, but during this outbreak, it's important that everybody realize and understand that regional relocation is sometimes what it might take to save lives. Receiving hospital communities might worry that there won't be enough beds for sick locals if they accept too many relocated patients, but projections such as uh, Penn Med Medicine COVID-19 hospital impact model for epidemics can help forecast likely capacity constraints many weeks in advance using real time. And again, if they have all of these hospitals feeding in numbers on a constant on a real time basis, we can do this. Uh, this op-ed concludes just saying that, you know, none of this is ideal or without risk, but we are in a world of second best options, and it's worth considering an approach like this could on balance be beneficial. So, you know, these are the risks that you run, but you got to weigh that against, you know, maybe your hospital running out of ventilators. 
Something else that's happened is a week or so ago, the president, he mentioned that, oh, wouldn't it be nice if we could get everything back open during Easter, which even as he said that, it didn't quite make sense. But I understand the idea of being a cheerleader. I think that's a voice. I think that's a sentiment that we need. It's not like anybody's sugarcoating what's happening here, but at the same time, there is a place for levity in that we are going to see a light at the end of the tunnel, and let's not close our eyes to all of the chaos and all of the, the pain that we see right now, because we might miss that light. And anyway, um, Walter Olson, who is um, at the Cato Institute, I've always enjoyed him, and he was talking about how the media and their whole hair on fire, all the pundits, it's like, well, the president needs to reopen the country because we we can't sustain this. And we can't. And Donald Trump knows that as well as anyone. But uh, Olson has an interesting column. Not incidentally, I'm going to put a lot of these up on our Facebook page, the Political Pursuits Podcast Facebook page, because they're just kind of worth reading. But Olson goes through and kind of talks about the role of federalism and the role of states. And he talks about how there are those that, the big government people that are, oh, the government needed to be handle, handling all of this. And he's like, yeah, you know, and do as well as the FDA did and the CDC when they were caught flat-footed on some of this stuff in the beginning, what with the testing and all of that. But anyway, state governments, he goes through and talks about, and I think this is just kind of something interesting to keep an eye on as we watch the moves that these states are being made. And not all states are created equal, and not all of them have gotten off to the best of starts either. This is a learning curve for everybody, and so I think before we all get real upset about something that's happened today or last week or might happen tomorrow, we got to remember that this just, we're, there's lots of people learning as they go. But states are the place where so many of these important decisions need to be made. And I credit Donald Trump so much for understanding that and respecting that and standing to the side to, in order to encourage and facilitate governors from making the decisions they need to make. Because Olson, Olson talks about, he says, states have four key advantages that the federal government can't have, doesn't have, will never have. One of them is that they have the knowledge of resources. Every state has a different, um, a different list of characteristics, a different list of capabilities, different tools from which they can pull. States know their resources far more than the state than the federal government ever would have. They also know their hazards. In some states, tourist crowds and late-night revelers, uh, New Orleans, uh, could pose urgent dangers, while other states, density, uh, transit-dependent cities, all sorts of different things that they may have, being an, a hub for international travel. There's all sorts of different hazards or different challenges that states can have. The state is positioned to know that. Knowledge of response priorities. After the federal government's fiasco in failing to approve and provide good uh, tests, Andrew Como made sure his state took the lead in rolling out testing. His instincts were correct. And that was how the testing that he implemented is what confirmed New York City's status as a hotspot and helped get them ahead of where they are now, which can you imagine if he had been two weeks behind? Also, they're quicker and more flexible when it comes to mistake correction. Pennsylvania Governor Tom Wolf drew fire when, after waiting longer than his neighbors to respond to the crisis, he instituted sweeping closures. Almost at once, local voices pointed out that many of the facilities being closed, from rest stops relied on by truckers to laundromats, forestry companies and accounting firms were either more vital to everyday life than the state had reckoned, less risky to operate, or both. Well, immediately, Governor Wolf came back in, and he reversed that, and he readjusted some of those key um, locales and, and businesses in order to be able to operate. The federal government usually doesn't move that fast. So these are the things for us to keep in mind that it's not pretty all the time, 
but at the same time, we do have, it seems, a good combination, a good working relationship between the federal government and the states. Both of them have a lane. Both of them have a value. And that's going to be one of the key things in pulling us through this, this entire situation. One last thing, Scott Gottlieb, he used to be the uh, F FDA um, head. He had a recent piece uh, talking about the road back to normal, more and better testing. He says that there are several things we need to do. First, we need a Sentinel surveillance system, which collects high-quality data from specific locations and can test a statistically representative sample of patients to detect where and when the virus is spreading. He said, we also need rapid and reliable diagnostic tools so that we can go through, he said, you know, these need to be Insurance coverage should be mandatory. The CDC should give flexible guidance that encourages doctors to test liberally. If you have any signs or symptoms of the virus, you get a test right away with no out-of-pocket payment. And then we need coronavirus serology tests, which screen blood for the antibodies that confer immunity after exposure to a pathogen. So that's looking to see... If you have a lot of people who have been exposed and therefore you may have a higher degree of immunity within your community, then you are more of a better candidate for less restrictive measures in terms of opening up businesses and more free movement between people. He said that the technology for doing all of these things is at hand. Sometime this week, we estimate America will be able to test more than 100,000 patients a day. The number will keep growing. Based on recent data, some 750,000 tests have been conducted in the U.S. with about 125,000 people uh, testing positive. He said this capacity can be repurposed for this routine surveillance once the epidemic has abated. And so he goes through and he talks about that there are some weak links that we have to overcome. One is that... Um, Expanded screening has been community testing sites. The other one is the supply chain. So we don't have quite enough places where people can get this testing. And then there's some little glitches in terms of there's a number of different tests out there. Different companies are doing them. And some people aren't easily being able to get a hold of the different things they need, be it, um, be it um, things like the, the test tubes or the, um, the liquid reagents, the plastic wells in which the samples are prepared, the synthetic sticks um, used to swab the noses. And so anyway, he says, but all of these things can be fixed. It's logistics, and they can be fixed. And so he said that there is a plan, there is a path for us to start gradually returning the country to a new normal, but at the same time, at least something that re resembles more what we've seen. He said, but certain measures aren't going to go away. You won't crowd into elevators, and you're not going to see many self-service buffets. Airlines will advertise their deep cleanings, but the lockdowns will end, and the goal should be making sure these intrusive interventions aren't necessary again. With that, we're going to take a little break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about China and the ramifications of things and maybe a little uh, economic decoupling that could be happening or if not economic uh, decoupling maybe some economic social distancing so stick with me and we'll be right back this is political pursuits the podcast and i'm luann anderson <laughs> There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Wash your hands. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Stay home when you are sick. Cover your cough or sneeze. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects with household cleaning spray. For more information, visit cdc.gov COVID-19. This message brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters And 
welcome back to Political Pursuits, the podcast. I'm your host, Luann Anderson, and just wanted to remind you before we jump back in and talk a little China, that uh, Political Pursuits is found on all the major social media sites. You can find us at Facebook, at Political Suits. Same for Twitter. Email us if you got something to say, something to share. Political Pursuits Pod at gmail.com and then of course you can listen to us on any of your favorite podcasting platforms that includes apple Podcasts, spotify google podcast pod chaser pod addict cast box and deezer all right china 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 fortune magazine has an interesting piece here it says from the moment it erupted in wuhan china the covid19 virus has proved particularly lethal to patients with prior chronic illnesses, often described as underlying health conditions. Now the contagion is having a similarly grim effect on the U.S.-China economic relationship, where accumulated mistrust and resentment have created unhealthy conditions of a different kind. goes on talking about that um, because of this kind of underlying tension that has been going on for quite some time that it's uh, kindling a smoldering debate about decoupling the idea that after four decades of stitching the U.S. economy ever more closely to China's the time may have come to pry them apart again decoupling implies a full split and few business leaders are really willing to use the d word on the record but proponents of a more distant relationship, including some of uh, President Trump's top economic advisors, have seized on this contagion as proof of the dangers that we have when doing business with such a secretive, communist-controlled country. Um, so anyway, there's different things that we're seeing where the tension is, uh, re- is, is increasing and that we could see there's signs that this some type of split could be happening. First off, that uh, Trump and Xi Jinping in December reached phase one deal that put the trade hostilities theoretically on hold, but escalating conflict has already led a number of U.S. businesses to reroute orders worth billions of dollars to other companies, countries in industry. Liberty Tabletop is America's flatware company, the only flatware that's manufactured in the U.S. of A. There are over 38 patterns to choose from. Like a couple of patterns and you can't decide, you can order a sample of each. And check out their website at libertytabletop.com and enter the promo code BEN for 15% off all flatware. Just in time for you to freshen up your holiday table setting with Liberty Tabletop Flatware, manufactured in the United States. They make great wedding and Christmas gifts, too. Flatware that can be passed down for generations. So check out their website at LibertyTabletop.com and enter promo code BEN for 15% off all flatware. LibertyTabletop.com, promo code BEN. Ah, feel the woe with Listerine at BJ's. You can save $2.50 now on Listerine products like Total Care Anti-Cavity Fluoride Fresh Mint Mouthwash or Cool Mint Pocket Packs Fresh Breath Strips at your nearest BJ's location. Experience the feeling of a million germs zapped in seconds with Listerine. Discount available through December 24th. Save now only at BJ's from textiles to toys and so I mean it's big you know companies like Best Buy and toy manufacturers and all of these people that they just feel like that they need to have a little bit of diversity within their supply lines also we're seeing some some tension in regard of China and the tech guys Google Facebook and Twitter are now banned in China and when they have first-time uh, visitors even go there they kind of marvel that it's really impossible to get around or communicate without relying on Chinese tech giants like Tencent and Alibaba also we're finding that in hardware where the Chinese have so often depended on American companies for their uh, for their telecommunications needs their semiconductors and things like that that they are now um 
that they're now looking more to go with the Chinese companies and starting to, to cut out some of our people. And in doing so, they're also turning their technological back on America, accelerating their own drive for autonomy in areas like semiconductor and also um, artificial intelligence. Something else that we're seeing is that we have long over the past several decades seen a lot, many, many Chinese students here at our American universities. The 370,000 Chinese students enrolled in U.S. colleges and universities account for 34% of all international students in the U.S., and many U.S. schools rely on Chinese tuition to balance their budgets. Now we have travel restrictions that have been designated to contain the virus, but they have prevented thousands of Chinese students from returning to the U.S. for this spring semester. And even before the outbreak, Chinese students were finding it increasingly harder to obtain U.S. visas, and many in the applied sciences complained of what they called a red scare in which they are increasingly viewed as government spies. So you've got all these tensions going, and it basically just kind of comes down to, um, for now, the, the virus has shown how much damage the economic equivalent of a quarantine can do. And we'll see that, like the rest of us in this age of the contagion, they'll opt for fewer contacts in terms of the U.S. and China's relationship. They'll probably opt for fewer contacts and less prosperity in exchange for less entanglement. And... As a matter of fact, we'll just probably call that the economic version of social distancing. And this social distancing is also kind of uh, taking, taking form with other countries as well because Beijing has been looking to promote itself as a global leader after having all this blowback with regard to causing the Chinese Communist Party virus. And so in looking to kind of try and upgrade their image um, amid this crisis, they've been sending medical experts and much-needed supplies like masks and rep respirators to countries, everybody from Italy to Peru. And while many of the countries initially welcomed the assistance, there is now becoming a lot of backlash with this from the Netherlands, Spain, and Turkey. They all last week reported faulty equipment from China. Peter Ruff, an expert at the U.S. Foreign Policy and senior fellow at the Hudson Institute, uh, said that after a burst of positive publicity, the narrative about Chinese aid to Europe has soured. Uh, the Netherlands has reported that they recalled about 600,000 masks that arrived in a shipment of 1.3 million, so nearly half of them, that was purchased from a Chinese manufacturer a week earlier. Some of the masks had already been distributed to frontline health workers, they said that the mask did not fit properly or had defective filters. A second test also revealed the mask didn't meet the quality norms, and so now they're not going to be using any of the shipment. <clears throat> Spain had similar problems with rapid test kits ordered from a Chinese company. The Spain's health ministry said that it had to withdraw around 58,000 Chinese-made test kits after discovering they had a detection accuracy of just 30%, as if Spain doesn't have enough problems, and now they have to fight with these uh, defective tests. The normal accuracy rate on those tests is more than 80%. Turkish officials said that uh, they had similar issues with a rapid testing kit samples purchased from a Chinese company that also didn't do that. And notice that I'm saying that China was positioning itself as, oh, great, us, that we sent these countries all of this equipment. But notice every one of these examples that it's been mentioned that they purchased these materials from China. It wasn't, it wasn't uh, benevolent. It wasn't a gift. It wasn't aid. It was an economic inter um, interaction. Yeah, um, it's thought that, that China's humanitarian gestures are meant to cover up its own complicity in the spread of the virus, peel away a European countries desperate for an economic and medical lifeline, and win over gullible Westerners inclined to proclaim a Chinese century. And alongside its humanitarian or faux humanitarian endeavors, the regime has deployed a sweeping disinformation campaign peddling claims that the CCP virus... Chinese Communist Party virus 
um, did not originate in China and may have brought, been brought into U Wuhan by U.S. Army personnel. And so uh, Hel Dale, who is at the Heritage Foundation, she said, this is how an authoritarian regime deals with crises. They tend to deflect anger and criticism outward. So why are we surprised that a snake is acting like a snake? She said that uh, the regime has stepped in to fill a vacuum in the international space while traditional leaders like the U.S. are busy handling the Chinese communist virus outbreak here on our own shores. And so, anyway, this is something that definitely uh, China's, China's stock has dropped and um, we even had a guy that um, countries in Europe and elsewhere begin pushing back against the propaganda campaign. The Europe, EU's chief diplomat, Joseph Borrell, recently warned of a global battle of narratives. China is aggressively pushing the message that, unlike the U.S., it is a responsible and reliable partner. There is a geopolitical component, including a struggle for influence through spinning and the politics of generosity— Armed with facts, we need to defend Europe against its detractors. Wow, those are big words for an EU bureaucrat. So I think the gig is up. Word is getting out that China is not quite the uh, evolving country, the evolving society, the evolving economy that many on the left wanted it to be. And uh, so to be, to be continued, we'll see how this one uh, shakes out. Also, China has been touting in part of their information campaigns, if you'll have it, uh, that, oh, they're back, they're back at work and their factories are back going and there's some, some interesting numbers that are coming out of that. And it does look like some of the state-owned larger companies are back in business, probably to some degree it appears with subsidies and a lot of uh, concessions by the Chinese government. Meanwhile, their smaller companies, they are... They are struggling, and so that's certainly something that um, we hate to see because, again, those, those small business owners there in China, they're responsible for the livelihoods and the well-beings of a number of Chinese uh, residents who are maybe nothing more than pawns of the government. So that'll be something that we'll be watching. There is a guy in the New York Post. His name is Saurabh Armari. And he has this great column today in the Post. It's called Post-Corona, The Working Class Will Blow a Gasket Over Chinese Trade. He starts out saying, I lost my secure, well-paying manufacturing job to free trade with the People's Republic of China. And all I got was this damn virus that killed grandma and shut down even the lousy, insecure service industry gig that China had left me column goes on it starts whether the political and journalistic classes like it or not that's how many working class and left behind americans will politically interpret the events of the past couple of months and he says it's not just americans but similarly situated voters across the developed world britons who backed brexit italians who support the populist league and five-star movement Spaniards who pull for the Vox Party, and Frenchmen who'd take the arch-neoliberal Emmanuel Macron to the guillotine if they could. Which is why when this is all over, and please God, let it be sooner than later, the populist uprising first launched in 2016 with Brexit and the election of President Trump will only gather strength and momentum. He says that right now, populist, read, working class voters are staggering under the viral weight of the virus and the economic side effects of the cure. They're too scared and miserable to think about politics, but at some point, the virus will pass. Then the full scale of the damage will become apparent, not only to their own lives and finances, but to their neighbors and their communities. That's when anger, the most popular passion of the demos, will set in. Whom will they blame? Who will they make pay a price at the ballot box? And so anyway, this goes on. And again, this is just very cleverly written. And it's a, it's a fun thing. And um, anyway, he kind of wraps it up saying, if there was ever a glaring illustration that to preserve true freedom, we need some barriers. 
it is the novel coronavirus crisis of 2019-2020. What a bitter irony. The utopian dream of free trade on every front, free movement through every boundary, ended up shuttering the playground next door and necessitated curfews against leaving our own homes. I'm going to put this up on the Facebook page at Political Peace Suits on Facebook, and um, I urge you to take a look at the rest of it. And with that, let's talk. We've got a lot of grim news, but like I said, we can't close our eyes to the trouble we see now because if we do that, we might also missing, miss seeing that light at the end of the tunnel. And that light is coming, and we are going to get America back working again. Um, last week's unprecedented surge of 3.3 million initial um, unemployment claims qualifies some of the cost of the shutdowns to contain the, the virus pandemic. And so anyway, there needs to be, as we talked earlier about what Scott Gottlieb had, there needs to be a coronavirus exit strategy that protects the health and enables American workers to regain their jobs. And so this does some of the same, has some of the same uh, points that the Gottlieb piece did in terms of expanding, expanding uh, testing and also looking at kind of choosing an appropriate yardstick because there's different categories of people that have been impacted or not impacted by the virus, be it uh, younger people, be it people who have had it and are now clear of it and therefore have some antibodies that can help them be immune in the, or we think immune or at least less susceptible to it in the, in the future. Um, older people, people with pre-existing conditions that need to be protected. But he goes on and he has some other points and he says, you know, first off, let the young return to work. For most young, healthy people who contract the virus, it isn't a death sentence and symptoms. The symptoms, if you get them, they're relatively mild. And so if people are allowed to return to work but develop symptoms and test positive, they and those in contact with them should be quarantined and treated. Singapore's done this and they've done it with great success. So there is a path for how we can get those people back to work. The same, gradually allow non-essential businesses to reopen. This is important for a couple of reasons. First off, the products produced by many essential businesses require complex supply chains, perhaps originating in a small company of which, in which, in which even a large business may be unaware. Closing a small company that produces a vital component not available elsewhere will soon interrupt the essential businesses' production. And I've got another article. We're going to be talking about that as we wrap things up for this segment. Also, they're saying even the best state leaders can't anticipate where innovations to contain and treat the epidemic will emerge. And so, you know, you want to allow a distillery to remain open so it can use the in its inventory of alcohol to produce sanitary wipes. You never know how that type of business activity can evolve into, into an even more successful enterprise down the road. And so you don't want the door shut on those types of things. It also talks about that one last thing. He says that, you know, prioritize reopening industries compatible with physical distancing. There's a lot of construction work that can be done performed by physically separated workers. There's a lot of service work that can be done. During this time that we've been off, we had some work done on our pool from some guys. They were out there working in the pool. They knew what needed to be done. We didn't need to go out there and get close to them. We were able to give some economic benefit to a local company, get something done that we needed to get done, and it was a win for everybody. Construction jobs, there's other things like that. There's a lot of, of retailers, people in the service industry, that they can do things. And if people, again, will exercise that personal responsibility, that it can be made to work and we can get more of those people returned to work, get more of those people returned to some degree of their new normal. And it puts us just on a better path. And so we've got to get creative and we can't let, we can't get in our own.
Liberty Tabletop is America's flatware company, the only flatware that's manufactured in the U.S. of A. There are over 38 patterns to choose from. Like a couple of patterns and you can't decide, you can order a sample of each. And check out their website at libertytabletop.com and enter the promo code BEN for 15% off all flatware. Just in time for you to freshen up your holiday table setting with Liberty Tabletop Flatware, manufactured in the United States. They make great wedding and Christmas gifts, too. Flatware that can be passed down for generations. So check out their website at LibertyTabletop.com and enter promo code BEN for 15% off all flatware. LibertyTabletop.com, promo code BEN. And with that, that's what, um, this was something that was a Wall Street Journal article from, from yesterday, I guess it was. And it's talking about how that... It's good that President Trump has used this act to compel these companies to start doing things. But uh, Rick Klein, the the writer on this, he says that GM had already, before Trump did his his order, that GM had already voluntarily teamed up with this Washington-based Ventec Life System, offering its manufacturing resources to help Ventec rapidly scale up ventilator production. GM, Ford, Honeywell, and 3M, and thousands of lesser-known manufacturers are working to meet America's need. Said so government intervention can be counterproductive because lawmakers, journalists, they don't understand sourcing and logistical challenge of creating a complex medical device. Every link in the supply chain that produces life-saving medical technology has to follow carefully certified processes. It isn't simply telling manufacturers to start pumping them out. There's a lot of people that are involved with that. And um, Ford and 3M are working together, but more closely now than they ever have before. As this is written, Ford manufacturing engineers are on the factory floor of 3M facilities helping produce medical supplies, including ventilators and N95 masks. What's more, they are re-engineering 3M's powered air purifying respirator so that Ford can use parts from its parts bin. What are they using? The fan to cool the seat of an F-150 to scale production of these life-saving devices. There's another company, Stratasys, has committed to three, its 3D printers it makes and invited its customers to provide time on theirs to produce face shields at a rate of thousands a week. Similarly, HP's 3D research and development centers are collaborating with partners around the world to expand production. Production in the works include face masks, face shield, mask adjusters, nasal swabs, hands-free door openers, and respirator parts. These efforts are too sophisticated to be directed from Washington as they require contributions from across the supply chain. When a key component was holding up production of Ventec ventilators, a die-cast shop in Minneapolis handed the project over to a shop in Wyoming, Michigan that has since been working to get the job done, condensing the parts turnaround from the usual eight weeks to five days. In another supply chain success story, a Michigan-based plastics processor, I love this, rushed to modify a line that was making auto seat covers to produce and convert film for non-surgical isolation gowns. This is what an American nation of problem solvers and inventors does, and this is how people are working to overcome this crisis. And so this country, we may be on the verge of a renaissance of domestic manufacturing, and that's happening all without orders from Washington. One more thing before we close this out. Uh, this month, as online shopping surged, Amazon, they're hiring 100,000 new workers. Now, they got some problems, some of the Amazon folks, some of the Whole Foods people. Uh, they're, they're not happy. They want more money and all of this. And, I mean, there's, there's some middle ground there. It hadn't really disrupted Amazon, but they're in there looking to do things. A lot of this is going to happen in New Jersey. Walmart, they're doing the same type thing. There's plenty of local companies that are also in the market. The grocery stores, New Jersey's ShopRite, with 145 locations, is looking for 1,500 new workers. PepsiCo, they employ 90,000 people, and they make everything from Lay's potato chips to Tropicana orange juice. 
they got to deliver that stuff to these to these suppliers. And so the company's adding 6,000 full-time workers. GE Healthcare is adding shifts to its production cycle and looking for workers in uh, a lot of different specialized capacities because GE Healthcare does manufactures a lot of different uh, different things. Bednark Studio, a Brooklyn company that produces retail display fixtures, has moved to assembling face shields. So they're calling back laid-off workers and looking to employ out-of-work restaurant and bar, bar employees. Online courses, they're soaring. So there's a company, OutSchool, which offers 10,000 video-assisted classes from preschool through high school. They're looking to hire 5,000 new teachers, and the instructors don't need teaching certification. They hire based on an individual's work expertise and pay up to $40 an hour. Of course, the employees get to work from home. That's out school, guys, if you're interested in taking a look at this. All of this comes, we had 3.3 people nationally file for unemployment the week ending March 21st. Those are scary numbers. But, again, the light is at the end of the tunnel. And all of these, um, before the shutdown, our jobless rate was at 3.5%, the lowest in 50 years. Companies like Amazon, OutSchool, and others rushing to hire, they're thinking that we're going to get there again, and I think they're right. We're going to take one more break, and then we'll be back for just one quick segment to talk about one of the most important things that we can do during this virus, virus chaos that we're going through, and that's take care of our pets. So stick with me, and we'll be right back. <laughs> There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Wash your hands. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Stay home when you are sick. Cover your cough or sneeze. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects with household cleaning spray. For more information, visit cdc.gov COVID-19. This message brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters, back for a final quick segment this is political pursuits the podcast i'm Ann anderson just remind you we're available on all the popular podcast platforms apple spotify google podchaser podcast addict deezer and Castbox. find us at facebook at twitter at political Suits. email political pursuit pod at gmail.com couple of quick quick things and we'll close it out here nancy pelosi just don't want to let this one get under the radar here we are we've got the numbers ticking up as every hour on this coronavirus and somebody probably ought to tell nancy pelosi about it because her laser focus right now is on pushing her own political agenda so it suggests she must not know that much about this virus But the latest thing she's wanting to do is to retroactively roll back the 2017 cap on tax deductions for state and local taxes. Remember that those were the SALT. That was the SALT measure. And uh, state and local taxes that she claims that lifting the cap would help address some of the uh, current economic fallout. What her idea really is about, though, is helping Democrats in blue states like California, New York, New Jersey, Illinois. Let's remember what this is. The SALT tax was a deduction that let high-income taxpayers in states like California, New York, New Jersey, Illinois, it let them deduct a portion of their state and local taxes from their federal income tax. In other words, they were able to write off part of their local taxes and therefore not pay so much federal taxes. So in order to make up those federal taxes that weren't collected, you and me and everybody else that lives in states like Texas and other places, we were the ones that were picking up the tab for that. 
And so anyway, this is just one more opportunity that, you know, let's not let a good crisis go to waste. And so she's trying to once again ram that, that agenda through on the backs of a real crisis and people who are truly in need. Oh, and wait a minute, too. The other thing about that is that that's for like high, high income type people that a more middle class, lower to middle class worker, they wouldn't make enough money that they would qualify for that salt tax. So isn't it Republicans that were supposed to be the ones that wanted tax cuts for the rich? But in this case, well, who says Democrats don't as well? Another quick thing, don't have anything to do Friday night. Well, Uncle Joe's going to take to the air on CNN and have a town hall on the COVID-19 pandemic. What could be more exciting than Uncle Joe from his basement and Anderson Cooper talking about the Chinese Communist Party virus? Um, one last thing, and then we're going to get out of here. During this time... We're all going through adjustments, working from home, spending more time at home, all those types of things. And so what else are we doing? We're spending more time with our pets. At my house, I got two greyhounds, and they're loving this. But at the same time, it is interesting because you do see some of their behavior changing, even though we are largely home all the time anyway, they can tell that there's even a difference now. They can tell there's a difference too in the lack of people who are here because usually our house is a bit of a revolving door. But anyway, one thing that we're finding is that people are noticing changes in their pets' behaviors over these last weeks because our pets, they do have the ability to feel stress and anxiety just like us and changes in their routine can be kind of hard on them. So there's a few things to, to think about. You might have them, what might you see changes in the behavior, things like getting into things that um, they didn't used to get into, maybe the trash or something like that. Surfing counters, we have greyhounds. Counter surfing is always a desired sport for that breed. Uh, getting into the trash, destructive behavior, pinup energy, not... Um, and not being able to settle down, especially during some of these times when we've also started having a lot of rainy weather that keeps them in and makes walks a little more difficult. So, with many people working from home and schools closed, your living space may be more hectic than your pet is used to. Some will enjoy the extra companionship, but others might want their own space. So, even social distancing can have a negative on your pet if they are used to doggy daycare or lots of interaction. Maybe, you know, if they have somebody who comes in and takes care of them. A pet, a pet sitter or a pet walker, something like that. So uh, some of the experts, they say, try to keep your routine as close as possible and be consistent with feeding schedules. It will provide them some structure. They're very in tune to your behavior, so if you can do your best to remain calm, your animal will as well. Uh, some suggestions are using puzzle toys and getting outside for mental stimulation. Certainly playing with toys outside is a good thing. Playing in your own backyard. Going for a hike is a great option if you live in an area that's conducive to that. If you encounter another person with their dog, nose-to-nose -nose contact is too close for the humans. So remember that. It's nice to have that release during the day to take your animal outdoors. Go for a walk and get some fresh air. Animals sometimes are forcing us to do things that we don't get to do in a busy office space, and that's, that's a good thing. That can be valuable. It's also important, too, to be aware of, separ of potential separation anxiety. We need to all work to spend at least an hour a day away from our pets, or else they could develop uh, separation anxiety, especially like younger pets like puppies. Uh, they could develop separation anxiety for when the time comes that we are likely to start being more, more spending less time with them. And so anyway, it also, it's uh, recommended that every pet owner proactively selects somebody, whether it's a family member or a neighbor, that could be a caretaker in case you got sick. And with that, you should put together information for maybe a folder with what they eat, when, the medications they have, the types of habits, uh, so that, you know, that would be there. Have a couple weeks, same as for us, have a couple weeks of pet food, 30-day supply of medication like heartworms, 
flea and tick. That's especially important this time of year. Make sure they're up to date on their vaccinations. And so anyway, this time of crisis allows us to have a little bit more bonding time with our pets. Animals do offer us such great emotional support in high times of stress. And we need to provide them that same support. But we do need to be aware that when we go back to work, anything that you switched up is probably going to stick because animals are creatures of habit. So that nightly bag of popcorn, that may now become a fixture in your budget from here on out. So anyway, these are some just some good tips for taking care of our pets because uh, they're going through this too. And we certainly want to make sure they come out on the other side healthy and whole as well. I thank you so much for sticking with me today. Again, keep your eyes open. We got some tough times ahead, but there is a light at the end of the tunnel. We'll get there. Stay smart. Stay safe. God bless our country. God bless President Trump. And I will look forward to seeing you in our next episode of Political Pursuits. This is Lou Ann Anderson. See you next time. Liberty Tabletop is America's flatware company, the only flatware that's manufactured in the U.S. of A. There are over 38 patterns to choose from. Like a couple of patterns and you can't decide, you can order a sample of each. And check out their website at libertytabletop.com and enter the promo code BEN for 15% off all flatware. Just in time for you to freshen up your holiday table setting with Liberty Tabletop Flatware, manufactured in the United States. They make great wedding and Christmas gifts, too. Flatware that can be passed down for generations. So check out their website at LibertyTabletop.com and enter promo code BEN for 15% off all flatware. LibertyTabletop.com, promo code BEN.